Hello! Welcome to Why Not Both, the podcast all about how our multiple passions and interests shape our identity and our lives. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I am a musician and therapist in Los Angeles, and I also happen to be your host. This podcast is produced by Laura Studeris, and for this season, we've partnered up with Under the Radar Magazine. If you like what you hear, you can hang out with us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at WNB, the podcast. And if you really, really like what you hear, please support us on Patreon. We are under Why Not Both podcast. When you join our Patreon, you get a whole bunch of really cool behind the scenes stuff and you get to chat with us. And that's pretty awesome. Thank you so much for your support and I hope you enjoy our interviews. For this week's episode, we welcomed John Linnell of They Might Be Giants. I hope you enjoy our chat. I like that Zoom interrupted you saying, I hope that these pearls of wisdom are being recorded to you that it's being recorded. (laughs) Oh, that's technology in a nutshell that you're like, I hope it's catching this. And technology is like, oh, I am. Yes. Also derailing it. (laughs) Right. This emotionless robotic voice, like. Like, I am so unamused by what you're saying, but yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Why Not Both, where we rhapsodize about panicked and sleeping animals and technology interrupts us. <laughs> it's a good start to any podcast, really. Yes. <laughs> How are you? You know, I'm doing pretty well. It's, uh, I feel like David Lynch being like, it's 72 degrees, sunny, very yeah. still. <laughs> It is quite lovely. Well, it's been, the weather's been miserable everywhere and, and now it, maybe it's not so bad. So, yeah. And you know, you're... it was boiling hot in LA, right, recently? Um, yeah, we had a kind of like, I don't know, do you spend much time in LA? Well, no, I visit. I come, I come to uh, play in LA, but I've never yes. really stayed there for an extended amount of time. Ah, we're a magical and strange city. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we often have there's a heat wave that's always either at the high holidays or halloween it's one of the two right it's proximal to one of those two things like ever since i was a kid there's always and i would remember it because it would either mean that i was sitting in temple with my parents being like way too hot or you'd plan like an amazing halloween costume and then be like really oh god yeah yeah. sweaty (laughs) Yeah, even even just the plastic mask, you know, like the sensation of sweat inside them and the smell of the mask when you're sweating. Yep. yep. Very potent childhood memory. <laughs> well, it's it's appropriately cool here in in uh, New York State. It's um, it's actually really good trick or treating weather. That I think so. Excellent. Do you have? It's funny. I feel like every neighborhood has its own like trick or treating culture. Mm-hmm. What is the trick or treating culture like where you are? Is it like roving packs of children? Are there teenagers that sneak in there? Like, where's the best place to find the good candy? Oh yeah. Well, it it I can tell you. I can give you a better uh, description of when what I what it was like when I was growing up, mm-hmm. um, which is that we we lived in a, a twenty story apartment building um, and. Um, it was crazy how much stuff you'd get. 
because <laughs> you did barely you barely had to do any walking you just walk from one door to the one next to it and my older brother and sister would have garbage bags <laughs> because that's how much candy they were accumulating and then they they basically do the entire building and then say we're going to go next door and do the apartment building next door. Oh and I was, my God. I was young to actually go outside on Halloween night. Oh. Uh, just, be, just be in the building. Um, but uh, yeah, that was like the most efficient possible Halloween <laughs> you could have. And then when I, was a, when I was a little bit older, we moved to the suburbs of Boston and you'd spend most of the evening walking from one house to another that, you know, they were all very... It was very long walks. Yeah. Uh, so that was a completely different experience. Oh my goodness. I love the idea of just like, almost like fleecing an entire apartment building. Yeah, exactly. It was like, <laughs> it was, like was it like the Anderson tapes? What was the movie about the apartment building theft? Oh my gosh. And then there's like, what flashed in my mind, I was just like, you could even like probably wear different costumes and hit the same places. You could, I'm sure. Right? <laughs> People did, no doubt. I wish I could remember the name of that media. I was talking to another interviewee yesterday and realized that it's almost like, I don't know if this happens to you, but if someone says to you, like, what's your favorite movie or what music are you listening to right now? Does your mind just completely go blank? And all of a sudden your mind is like, I've never seen a film. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or you say, or you immediately think of some really mediocre thing that you're just been obsessing on that, like, you now that's all you can come up with. Yes, yes. You just get stuck on it, and you're like, okay, I guess I have to say it. Yeah, it's going to reflect poorly upon me. It was a really incredibly boring thing that I saw a, a long time ago, but I'm, that's why I can't stop thinking about it for some reason. Exactly. A friend of mine said that he comes up with stock answers so that even if they're not his favorite of the moment, that way, like he just pulls up his, his stock answer. Yeah. Raging like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, just <laughs> like he just pulled the ripcord and I was just like, okay, Raging Bull is coming out. <laughs> oh my goodness. What has your relationship been like with media at this time? It's been really fascinating talking to creators because all mm -hmm. of us um, both consumed and made media during the last like few years, but it seems like it felt quite different. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm sort of a random, you know, I'm not, unfortunately, I'm not, I'm not very like, uh, I don't do like that many deep dives. Oh, I, I should say like, I like watching um, uh, rock documentaries. Um, and, I, and I'll kind of watch any rock documentary. And often it's like, bands I don't even particularly like <laughs> but there, there's something so fascinating about getting all the way through somebody's career and going like oh how weird that like this mm. happened and then and then they went and did this whole other thing with involving pro wrestling or something and and uh I I will yeah I mean there's there's also there's just bands that were you know kind of un, unavoidable when I was growing up you know, like the like Chicago or something like mm -hmm. that, where mm -hmm. I'll just watch the thing to kind of get to the bottom of this thing that <laughs> I wasn't ever really that interested in, but like it obviously meant a lot in the culture, and then I kind yeah. of really know the whole story. So I, I really do. I I really uh, I actually watched the Frank Zappa um, uh, film, the bio, the documentary oh. about Frank Zappa last night, and I I haven't thought about Frank Zappa in probably you know, 20 years or something. 
but it was just interesting and weird to go back and revisit uh, his his whole career. Oh my gosh. I've been wanting to watch that. I've been reading um, Pamela DeBar's book. Um, I'm with the band. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's in it. She's in it. She talks, <laughs> she talks to she talks to the camera. Um, yeah, and, and I guess I suppose the nice thing about it is that um, even though he's passed away, it's not just like a, you know, hagiography, like uh, there there are those and and I can tolerate a certain amount of that but it's mm -hmm. it's actually sort of critical of him as a person mm. you know in in the ways that seem truthful you right, know, right. There, his own children are saying yeah he was kind of a he was kind of a not their dad and stuff right. like that you know so that was it was you know it was good it was it got it got pretty deep into it it's interesting that you mentioned that his kids were talking about that that's another thing that people have mentioned during this time is almost like a redefinition of being an artist and a parent because during the last like year and a half everyone was also not just working from home but working from home with their kids and some people had grown kids come home and things like that um and that was something I'd always talked to female artists about but now artists of all genders are talking about that about how to balance essentially like showing up for your kids and showing up as an artist and it's tricky it's difficult. and and uh there's disturbing, there's alarming evidence that people who are really, really interesting and really committed to their work are unfortunately have to be sort of absentee um, family members. Um, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. So I obviously have to sacrifice <laughs> thing in the, in the, in the creative work to, in order to be uh, not just the invisible dad. Yeah. Well, because it requires so much like emotional and generative energy, even like in, like you said, in family relationships too. Like I remember, you know, reading about like Nabokov's wife, essentially. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That it's like you end up having almost like this like other person that sacrifices their personhood for your stuff. And I'm like, oh, well, as much as I love creating things, I don't want to like accidentally do that to someone else. That sounds terrible. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know too. I don't know about was it Vera? Is that the name? Of his yeah. Name? Uh, I guess I guess they were sort of like the family was like a cult of Nabokov, right? Because the son wound up being the kind of um, curator of his yeah. work after the fact. And you think, yeah, that's kind of weird. I mean, I, it wouldn't obviously wouldn't be nice if you were not into it. Um, if you felt like I, I want to have my own life. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I suppose I, I would, maybe I'm kidding myself, but I think I, my sense is that my son is not particularly, um, doesn't, is not slavishly devoted to the work of They Might Be Giants. <laughs> so uh, that's good news, I think, probably for both of us. I think that means you did good. I hope so. How did you, because you've had it, it was interesting that you spoke about like kind of seeing the trajectory of people's careers over time and to my knowledge you haven't gone into pro wrestling but you have done a lot of other things <laughs> we've done a lot of things in in sort of in the second half of the or what is so far the second half of our our, uh, our trajectory we 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 started out doing really strictly just uh i guess rock albums uh for for grown-ups you know um from 19 
86 to about um, 1999, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, and then um, we really abruptly took a turn into all sorts of other stuff. Um, started doing commercial work, uh, songs for movies and television. And um, we started making children's records um, and we did all kinds of uh, outside stuff that I think we would have been too uptight to, to do. Um, Mm. Um, before, um, before, uh, sorry, just getting a stupid text. Um, <laughs> sorry, my uh, life. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, uh, we were, we, we were, we were uptight about being perceived as something other than, you know, the, the thing is, the crazy thing is our first album has a kind of a, very childlike illustration on the front. It looks a little bit like H.A. Ray. It's actually this very popular uh, artist named Rodney Greenblatt mm -hmm. um, did did the did the work the cover art for our first album. Um, but it looks a little you know like childish, and and um, uh, as a result, uh, Tower Records uh, when they received it, they immediately filed it into their children's. <laughs> And, uh, and John and I were, of course, mortified at the time. Oh. We really wanted everyone to know what it was we we're doing. And so we probably spent the next 15 years really uh, fretting about it. And then eventually we kind of relaxed and realized like, oh, we, we know who we are. Everybody else who's, you know, who's heard of us by now um, has a sense of who we are. So we could, yes. we could try doing other stuff and it won't confuse anybody. Mm. That's, I just imagine going into Tower Records on Sunset and being like, you put our record where? Yeah. No, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, hey, my camera started working. Hey, Zoom. <laughs> hey there, nice, nice, uh, <laughs> nice piano you got there. Yeah, that's my baby. Her name is Iphigenia. My internet was being so weird today that I was just like, I don't know if the camera will ever turn on and it finally did. And I'm like, good job, internet, but well done. <laughs> Um, exactly. but thinking about people taking you seriously in that way, like, I'm wondering what shifted that you, you found that security to be like, you know what, we know who we are. Other people know who we are. We can expand beyond this. Cause that sounds like an important artistic turning point. It was, well, I think it was partly age. You know, we, we, when we were, uh, when we were in our middle twenties, which is when the first record came out, um, we, we, uh, were worried a about selling out and also b about being perceived to be selling out um and uh that carried on for a while and and you know i think it was a lot of a lot of things that, that like you worry about it that are connected to your identity i think there's a thing for any like you know like particularly for like teenagers that you you really are just more uh, concerned about how you're being perceived mm -hmm. who you who you who everyone thinks you are and so on yeah and you know you really start to relax as you get older about this stuff. <laughs> uh, i don't think people care that much anymore yeah. <laughs> yeah usually people are kind of concerned with themselves first i've noticed that that like whenever i'm worried that someone is misperceiving me I remind myself like they're 
probably just thinking about their own stuff. And if there's a problem, they can, they can say something about it and then we can address it. (laughs) That's totally right. So, you know, obviously now we're, you know, we're, John and I are in our sixties now and we kind of feel like uh, we're still very committed to this project. We like writing songs and we like finding new ideas and making them happen and all that. And, and that's, that's now in some ways, I feel like we have this freedom to kind of continue doing that without getting distracted by um, uh, the sort of concerns of, of our public image or any of that stuff. I think. Well, and that's, that's amazing also to have that long of a creative partnership that you continue to explore new ideas together. Yeah, no, I think it's, I don't know whether it's amnesia or something, but like, <laughs> We kind of feel like we we still have uh, we still haven't said the thing yet, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may be that it may be that like we're just kidding ourselves and we're saying some version of the same thing over and over again. You know, I suppose that's the thing that you you want to avoid is just just doing a kind of a pale version of what you've already done. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't seem to me like we're doing that. I feel like I feel like we're uh, we're always some. Um, surprising ourselves and that's that's actually the in a way the idea yeah kind of come up with something where you go oh wow this is not you know this is shaping up to be something unexpected I think that's a nice thing well that's that's always what's so fun at least for me about creating is that I don't think I'd want to create something if what I was working on in the moment didn't feel like the next best thing I've made. I mean, like it, it turns out usually nine out of 10 things that I make, I'm not going to like show to anybody else. Cause then like in the process or when I conclude them, I'm like, well, I'm glad I made that, but I kind of want to make something else. And then you kind of filter through and you, you cherry pick, but it's like, if you're not excited while you're making it, I'm like, why would you do that? <laughs> like, why would you- <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I, you need, you need to, you need to, I mean that, and then this is where John and I began as we, we had, been doing other stuff earlier that was sort of like well you know what do people want to hear and was like we try and find that thing um and then at at a certain point we realized like you know we should just do stuff that we like and and then if somebody else like it likes it that's that's a win but otherwise you, you don't necessarily want to be successful doing something that you don't actually like yourself you know that would be purgatory situation i was gonna say that would be what is it like a pyrrhic victory where like both people yeah. win and lose <laughs> it's like... exactly. well it's amazing that you've gotten to do things like that and that you have found people that have really just like over the years resonated with your music i mean i i can't think of any other bands that like that are you essentially mm. like you carved out your own lane and i'm like that's yeah. awesome <laughs> like, yeah. I suppose that's yeah that's that seems fair like uh, yeah I, I mean there's a lot of bands out there and they're bands that I feel professionally jealous of out there I won't say who they are but um but I think we are definitely ourselves we're definitely yes. not uh, copying somebody else so that's 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 something Juan did you find that when you started to write for other opportunities like you said for tv or even like interesting that we were talking about being a parent and then you said that you were writing then music for kids like mm-hmm. what is it like when you're kind of like using your own voice obviously but writing for a prompt or writing for a specific thing other than just like hey write what you're compelled to write um 
Well, it's easier in some ways because uh, it's obviously more focused. We did, we did a bunch of projects for Disney where they just, you know, we just came up with a theme, like do, do all songs about the alphabet. And uh, it's still difficult to make it interesting. I think that's, that's the, cha the big challenge is like, take something sort of that's been done quite a lot and, and do your own version that, that, that seems original and interesting and compelling in some way. Um, and, and for kids, you know, like make yeah. it, it's like it. Uh, Cause you can't just sleepwalk your way through that stuff. Like kids are just, <laughs> kids are just as critical as adults, you know? Um, uh, so, you know, and, and the other thing, for example, we did, we did uh, um, a bunch of donut ads. Like this was like 15 years ago. We, mm -hmm. we, uh, we, we were asked to do, we did like a million little jingles for Dunkin' Donuts and they came up with the copy. So the lyrics were already sort of written more or less, or they're just the, the key line in the lyrics. And then it was just like a short song that took off from that. And that was one of the funnest projects we've ever done because it was really just about designing the music around this idea. Um, My goodness. And they kind of wanted us to do us, you know, they kind of wanted us to do like a, they might be giant -y thing. So, so, we didn't feel like we had to guess, you know, what vibe they were going for. We could just come up with something that seemed interesting and, you know, maybe strange and hilarious uh, from our perspective. And, and they, and they were happy with that, that, that was, that was, uh, that worked. Uh, so we've, and we've, you know, we've done other projects for people where it's been misery and there's been endless revisions and uh, you know, that's the, that's the, obviously the risk you run is that right. you, you don't, you don't know what they want and they don't know what they want. And you just keep coming up with stuff over and over again, toiling over crap mm -hmm. basically. Um, and that's, that's very miserable. Um, uh, and then even if you get paid a lot, you still feel dirty. There's, there's integrity projects that are fun, and then there's super commercial projects that are can also be fun. Um, That's I was just imagining like I mean I know that I'm guilty of this when I'm talking to like my mixer where I'm just like can you make this sound more like you're in a glacier, uh, where it's like I will sometimes say just ridiculous things. Yeah, but, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The and worst. They're free, to, yeah. they're free to kind of interpret that. Obviously, yeah. there's no there's no objective way to do do there's, that so. there's no like glacier plug-in exactly um, <laughs> like, <laughs> there were you could just reach for it yourself exactly like, but, but no you get somebody who knows you know some has some ideas of their own maybe that's i'm wondering i'm like what what was the line that dunkin donuts had you put in like i was like because you want you would want to make it like in my head i was like oh you'd want to make it catchy but you'd want to make it fun and quirky and i'm like what was the line like? Do you right. Well, it was the all the, the the ad copy was all really ordinary mm -hmm. stuff that you do, and it didn't generally have to do with eating donuts or. I mean, they were they were. Um, I think they were promoting the the coffee. They they were starting to introduce like. Oh. But but it wasn't necessarily about that. Like like um, the 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 line that they'd submit would be just like. Um, uh, Taking taking a power walk through the industrial 
uh, industrial park or something like it would be that. And then we'd, so we'd go, all right, great. We'll do a whole song that's just, I mean, or it not, it'd be like 30 seconds, you know, right. even really for us, that's really a treat because it's, you have such a small canvas and it's, yes. it's, it's, uh, it's a great way to write a little song. It's just like, here's a line, it's very short, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and then John Goodman was doing the uh, voiceover. So there'd, be oh little, there'd be a little, you know, you'd do the song up to uh, yes. 15 seconds and then he would say something and then you just say the refrain again. And um, uh, it was really fun. I I'm imagining that. like, if you did that, but with say like four or five bands, just gave them that like one line prompt. Cause there's a project on YouTube where people um, they'll give different producers, like four different producers, one sample mm -hmm. and see what they do with that sample. Right. right. I'm right. like, Oh my God. I wonder if we could have like the alternate reality, like Dunkin' Donuts. Ads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where every ad is the same lyric, but it's all done differently. Yes. And, you know, sure. Oh gosh. Why not? get your ad agency going exactly i was just like happen. that'll be my next project <laughs> i do love the coffee from dunkin donuts um they did a good job with that and i was thinking about what you said about like that you're like yeah in some projects you're just like ugh, i feel dirty accepting money for this and and that even you had said before like that you didn't want to be a sellout and i feel like over over time like the idea of kind of selling out has changed like the idea of being being an artist and getting money I talk to people about this a lot about like why do we feel bad when we get money for our art and why do we also feel bad when we don't get money for our art it's yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. a double bind <laughs> absolutely yeah no I think it's um I think it's partly because it's the you know the relationship between you and the person who's paying you is it, it can feel weird yeah. Uh, and it makes you question, you know, your own motivation. Uh, so you want to do, you want to do stuff that, that you, you feel like you own, you, you want to feel ownership of it. Um, you know, uh, that was the weird thing about doing the donut ads was we felt like these are our song, you know, even though we hadn't written the lyrics and there was an assignment, we kind of felt like a weird ownership of it. Um, so that was that was kind of a nice uh, eye-opening experience. Yeah, because what I guess how do you feel being an artist that has made their living like on their art? Because some people choose to like you know kind of separate their art from commerce, and some mm -hmm. people like they're tied together. And I guess yeah. what has your experience been of that? That like those are the same for you. Um. I don't know. I, I, I think I do. Actually, I think I do compartmentalize to some extent when I'm doing the songwriting for this band, because uh, I don't I, I hope I'm not deluding myself, but I, I think that I'm thinking about the song and not about how much money it's going to generate. Right. That's not, <laughs> that's not really in my head. Uh, and it would be really distracting if if I did start to think in those terms. Quite so. So that's not true of some commercial work that we do, you know, and that that's it's just a different feeling. Like you, you're like, oh, this isn't this isn't zingy enough or something. And it's not because it'll be better. It's just because it'll be performing its function uh, yeah. in this in this commercial way. Um, 
Yeah, I yeah. John is actually better, I think. At John, John, my partner John is uh, is more clear about those things where he he kind of he has a better sense of what things mean in the culture, you know. Mm -hmm. And that includes us, but it also includes <laughs> when we're doing when we're doing um, commercial work or, or doing mm -hmm. a project for some for something else. Um, Got it. You know, I, I feel I often feel like I'm just like a, a little bit of a, you know, a performing dog in some ways where I, I'm just like, I don't know, this is this is what I do. But <laughs> I'm glad somebody likes it. I have no idea why. You You're know. like, I'm just along for the ride. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, to some extent, I, it's maybe, you know, I have some imaginary idea of what people are into but we you know we really began this thinking we just have to figure out what we like and hopefully yeah. uh, and that's that's been the main that's been the main engine of what of what, the way that we work well and did either of you like because you said that you started the band it sounded like in your mid-20s like did you did you have other jobs at the time like I find it yeah. fascinating to see like what were you doing while you yeah. were musicking yeah, well, that was also the that there was a benefit to that, which was we, John and I both did freelance work in New York in the 1980s. Um, actually, started as a bike messenger. Um, oh. <laughs> by, the, by the time we uh, by the time we were really into this uh, and trying to you know trying to get a rec trying to make a record and stuff like that, um, I was working in a dark room. Uh, doing doing for audiovisual oh. work, this enormous thing called a stat camera, which uh -huh. people my age may remember. Uh, it was like a huge camera that you'd use to photograph uh, two dimensional art, and um, and then you could take the negative and do other stuff with it. And it was complicated process, no longer necessary and complete <laughs> obsolete technology, but at the time it was a key part of any audiovisual company. They always had a oh. stat room on site and they had this giant camera that was the size of a, you know, like a size of a washing machine. Um, and so that was my job. And, um, and John was doing paste up for uh, publishing companies, mm. uh, so mostly for Condé Nast. And he, he, he was laying out magazine pages, mm -hmm. uh, stuff like that. And um, so, we and as i said we worked freelance so we were able to book gigs and things and um take jobs that were um that didn't conflict with that schedule so we could kind of it was a little complicated but we could kind of like get gigs and do recording sessions and stuff and still manage to keep those jobs right and then at a certain point i think the thing was we weren't necessarily making enough money to quit our jobs but um, we had to stop freelancing because nobody wanted to hire us because we were both oh. so unavailable. Oh. So there was this sort of lean period where we where we kind of had to the work had to kind of taper off, but we were not really making enough money off they might be giants. Yeah, uh, that was that was a little bit dodgy. But then luckily for us, you know, we that eventually picked up. We made a record, and then we started actually touring like a real band, you know, <laughs> getting into a van and driving around and 
sleeping on the on the bench in the van yep i was like sleeping in weird places eating a lot of peanut butter yeah exactly eating bar food yeah uh, but but you know making enough to live on and able to quit our, our day jobs so uh so that was lucky for us and I love that both of your day jobs prior to this came in remarkably handy to make the book that you made. <laughs> I just thought of that. I was like, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, John, John is the real visual artist of mm -hmm. the two of us. He, he, um, he got an art degree and oh. he um, has been the one kind of managing the packages mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. all this time. He's, he's very much very into uh um design and mm -hmm. packaging and art and uh and he vets the video artists that we work with and oh. so that's, that's really been his his um his uh purview um uh so that was also lucky that he was he was so involved with that that we kind of yeah. had a had an aesthetic right away you know it's so funny. I was just like, it sounds like he has all these kind of like galaxy brain ideas and you're like, I'm here to bring the vibes. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> it sounds like a really good balance. <laughs> yeah. That's fair enough. <laughs> Cause like, I was thinking about that, especially because you have been in creative partnership for a long time that you need to balance each other. Like it would, it wouldn't oh, be. I think, we do. I, think, I think we're, you know, we're very aware of, of our, our respective strengths and weaknesses. And, um, we, uh, um, we're pretty comfortable in our roles. So, so that, that's good. Um, that's worked in our favor. Um, I think, um, you know, we, we also, to some extent, I think we kind of um, uh, emulate each other, you know, like I think often I think like, no, oh, how can I do something like what he did, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think there is an element of that going on. Um, but um, yeah, John, John is John, also John is the kind of the more uh, more outgoing and more um, mm -hmm. uh, he does most of the talking on stage. Yes. And, and I'm kind of fiddling around with, with, uh, with the gear and um, kind of interested in the, uh, <laughs> no matter what the, dog, the dog is going crazy right now. Oh, hi, Pepper. Hello. I was like, does, does your dog want to be included? I don't know. That is the joy of Zoom is seeing it's like show me the baby, show the creature. Yes. Oh, hello. She's kind of the sociopath of the two of them. <laughs> um, she's not. She's not a very nice dog to other dogs, uh, and I always feel like this bad will ambassador when I go out <laughs> taking them out because um, she just is like lunging at small children and other dogs. <laughs> it's not a good. It's not a good scene, but um, but. She, She's okay right now. My uh, my best friend's dog, she loves me. And obviously, I mean, she loves my best friend, but, and she also loves my best friend's bandmate. Um, that's it. She doesn't love other people. She yeah. is, she is terrified of other people. This one is kind of like that a bit. Yeah. And then we actually had this unfortunate tour once where the driver 
insisted on bringing her chihuahua. And um, I don't know why we didn't just put our feet down and say no, but um, the dog accompanied us on uh, the, I think the pretty much the whole tour. And it was, again, it was this vicious little animal. Like, oh, you know what, yeah. chihuahuas can be like that. They can go either way. They're either yeah. like baby angels or you're like, are you possessed? Yeah. Well, this dog hated everybody. And, uh, and, 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 you know, we're in a bus and the dog is freaking out. <laughs> Even when we stop to a toll booth or something, <laughs> starts wanting to kill some, whoever's showing up in the window. Um, so we had yeah, no, no dogs on the bus now. I think we, I think we learned our lesson. Oh my goodness. That, that sounds spicy. <laughs> Anyway, I was talking about something and then the dog interrupted and I, I kept forgetting what it was. Dogs are important. We were talking about like the dynamic of bandmates that it's like. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So John, John, right. So I'm, I'm kind of like the, I'm kind of like the um, music, you know, technician, like in terms of the. Yes. Nuts and bolts. The, the, uh, like I do, I do, I'll do the horn arrangements and stuff like that. And, and then John uh, is is exhorting the crowd and yes well you need like the front person like it's so hard to do both the technical musical aspects while being a front person it's nearly impossible to do those at the same time yeah so it's good to it's good to divvy that up like when people do do those at the same time I'm just kind of like are you okay like I don't know if you've seen like Mark Rebier perform but like he's performing both like just incredibly complex like improvised music but also is mm. like beaming energy from like a thousand fiery suns and i'm just like yeah, yeah yeah that's usually they usually it's like the mick and keith thing where you have like yeah two different, two different roles exactly uh, well and it speaks to your strengths because it's like you don't you don't strike me as the person that's like you know what i want to be i want to be a front person i'm just like <laughs> you seem like you're like no i'd like to fiddle with the eight thousand you know yeah everybody has their own i mean i i don't even know if it's that like well-defined, but I did, I did do, I did a solo tour once and um, uh, it was kind of fun, kind of interesting, but it was a lot more work, you know? And uh, I think I, I I like this setup. Actually, you know, there was a period before John and I had a band where for about 10 years, we were just a duo. We had a tape recorder. And uh, then once we started hiring other musicians, we realized like, this is so much easier. Like <laughs> we, we, we have other people just part, just their very presence on stage made the whole vibe much, yeah. more, much less stressful, you know, where, where we're no longer having to juggle all the balls. Yes. Uh, that was, that was, uh, that was a, a real eye opener. Uh, Cause it's weird that when you're a smaller band, it's, it's, uh, it's actually uh, more nerve wracking. Uh, yeah I, I imagine it's even worse if you're just like a solo performer it's hard yeah like you said that it was interesting but then you can actually with a band like generate that energy on stage and you're not accountable for like every single thing that's happening while connecting yeah. with your audience yeah and you feel this kind of safety in numbers too exactly how has it been do you two live near each other because i was thinking about like working on music during this time right um, well, as you as you know, it's not really that necessary anymore. Yeah. Uh, I mean, proximity doesn't matter except when you're actually um, 
needing to work in a room together. Yes. So, uh, which is, you know, we do that. Eventually we, uh, John and I each write songs or we uh, start working on sounds or something. And then we'll often exchange things uh, electronically. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, that's get, that's gotten easier and easier as we've gone along. Yeah. Um, but um, I mean, that was something we did, you know, I, I, as I recall, we would exchange floppy disks at one point in by by the late 1980s into into the 1990s. That was a kind of a typical way that we'd That's collaborate. We didn't have to be together, but we could say like, "Here's the beats," or "Here's yes. you know, some samples," or whatever, and uh, or "Here's a sequence." Um, and uh, so we've kind of continued in that that vein. The, the, our new album uh, book is. Um, as a, as a number of examples of that kind of collaboration. Uh, there's some sounds that John cooked up that he sent over to me. And then I wrote a song on top of that and vice versa. There's one wonderful track that he did on top of some, uh, some, some noises that I made. Hmm. Um, so we've, we've, we've been doing that. Yeah. Pretty consistently. There's been every album we've had some version of that going on and and uh his his uh home studio is in upstate new york but in a completely different part of <laughs> upstate you know upstate new york's pretty big and he pretty is big. he is down near um near um pennsylvania kind of next to the mm. water gap the delaware water gap and that is about as far as i mean it's actually so far from where i am here i'm in albany county that in order to get from here to John's house, you practically have to drive all the way down to New York City and then <laughs> start over. And I'm not joking, like it is, there is no route directly between us because uh, it's the Catskill Mountains. Yeah, I was gonna say, I was just like, then you'd have to drive just straight up through the mountains. Exactly, so, so and I've tried to do that and it's gone horribly wrong. Oh, um, no. so yeah, you basically go, you go south for like, a hundred miles and then and then you start to <laughs> come back up and that's how we get to um each other's houses but uh we actually um both have places in apartments in new york and oh. band rehearses in new york oh. and we have a recording studio a real pro recording studio that we book time at in new york city so new york is sort of the the hub little hub where everything gets done oh, oh gotcha I was wondering about that because like, I love also that it sounds like you need almost like a, a mixture or a balance of space and proximity to each other to create. I love that you kind of go into your corners and you, you fiddle with your little things and then you exchange. Yeah. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's that, that is how we've, how we've worked. And, and very, very rarely we've sat in a room together and written songs together. Um, I almost feel, I almost feel like we're feel like we're kind of wasting time both working on the same song at the same time because it just feels sort of <laughs> like I could our both of our ideas are just as good so we don't have to like sit together trying to hammer it out and and uh we, we, we have written a few songs that way um uh but mostly yeah we're kind of like squirreled away in our respective home studios and that is a perfectly agreeable way for for us to get stuff done that's so cool. Cause also it shows how much you like trust each other with each other's ideas to be like, no, you got this, like send me what you got and well, yeah. on top it, of it. And like, yeah, there's another sort of psychological element, which is 
I always think like I'm coming up with something for They Might Be Giants and I think, I don't know if John's going to really go for this. So I, I, I've got him in my head, basically, mm. you know, and that kind of affects it's it actually in a way intensifies the decision making because I'm thinking, well, I kind of like this, but I think John is not going to like this. <laughs> really no point in continuing. Like, let's let's go down a different alley here. And I think that he uh, he feels the same way. I love that, that you've kind of internalized each other, like in your yeah. head that you're like, mm, would he be into this? <laughs> That's fascinating. I also, I, it was kind of in the back of my mind, what you said about how like kids are actually like really harsh critics of music. And I was curious when you're writing for kids, what do you feel is different? And did you ever play your son music that was specifically for kids or did you just play like everything? Oh, um, well, both. Uh, um, I do. I will say like, there is a difference. And the thing about kids is they don't, and we've said this before a million times. So I'm kind of, this is kind of a canned response, but they don't think like rock critics, you know, yeah. the, the adults really tend to compare what they're listening to, to everything else they've ever heard. Right. All of us do that. And, and, uh, and think, you know, well, this sounds derivative or whatever. And that's not, that's not really in a kid's mind. They, they, no. they hear something and they kind of hear it in a more uh, open-ended way, uh, which is nice. And it's a, it's a real, it's a real uh, privilege to write music for somebody who is listening in that way, because uh, you can introduce an idea that you know, you're kind of thinking this is, this might be the first time they ever hear like a funk groove or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to, you don't have to try and top some other thing. You can just like have it be what it is and, and not even have it be sort of self-conscious of its own genre. Um, which is, you know, the way, in a way, I think we, we idealize that anyway, when we're doing stuff for adults is we want to think, what if you just created music from scratch? It's yeah. impossible, <laughs> but but you can you can dream of doing it, and and it's and it's really much easier in a way to imagine doing that when you're writing music for oh. kids. You know, is that is that this is the first time you know this chord change has ever happened? Right. And, uh, it's uh, it's nice to it's nice to think in those terms because yeah they. I think about like what I listened to as a kid and I'm curious now what you listen to. And I didn't listen to a lot of what one would describe as kids music. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, my, my brother listened to, um, uh, um, I guess it was WMCA in New York and they, and they were playing the Beatles right when they arrived. And so there was this excitement about listening to the radio at that time, you yeah. know, like this, all this stuff is happening and it's, bursting out of the radio and my older siblings were just really into it. And, and uh, so it seemed like music was just one of the most important things you could be paying attention to at that time. Uh, yeah. And then, and then you, you know, I started to realize like, Oh, there's, there's all these different kinds of music and, and they come from different times and they have, so that, you know, um, yeah, I, I I think when I, as I recall, when I met John Flansburg, I, I, one of the things that struck me about him was that he was really interested in music 
and culture from way before either of us were born. Uh, you know, he, he had, I mean, his, he had all these uh, movie posters and things cut out all over his wall that were from the early part of the 20th century and stuff like that. And, and so it was kind of like, yeah, you could, you can be the, you can be the person picking your culture that you're into and, mm. and it can be something that none of your peers even know about. And <laughs> That's a really exciting kind of idea, you know, that you could that you could uh, choose from discovering. That. There's so much stuff to discover, and and uh, and uh, I don't. It's funny. I don't. I think I've lost some of that feeling. I, I don't feel mm -hmm. that way as much anymore. That like, even though it's probably there's an infinite amount of stuff that I've never heard, but I remember that feeling of excitement at, as being a kid of of like, oh my god, there's this whole other cool thing that I've never yeah. heard of. Yeah. there's I want to read more they've been studying why like when we're essentially when we're teenagers why that's the music that we attach most to mm -hmm. and why that's usually the art and it's I mean I'm sure it has something to do with like brain development at the time yeah um, and our emotional development yeah. um, and identity formation that it's like even though there are new things out there it might not speak to our identities in the same way as it did when we were like a kid or as a teenager Definitely. and to get back into that frame is so interesting to me because yeah like everything everything's new because you have no context yeah yeah no I think you're you're keying into something so interesting which is that idea of your identity formation uh and it's it's yeah what's going on with that it's like kids from a certain age up through their teens are obsessed with uh their identity and um and, yeah. it, and then, it, and then you, you know, you really, you're forming stuff that, uh, when you get to be an old person, you're kind of like, well, I'm still, you know, like, <laughs> still really a, kind of a, still kind of that thing, whatever that is, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to move on and reinvent after yeah. something as intense as, as that, you know. And when, when did you meet each other? Like, how did you become friends? Yeah, well, we were, um, we were in grade school together. So before we went to high school, oh. we were, we were, we, I think he, we were a grade apart. So oh. I kind of knew about John. He knew that he was this interesting, creative kid. And he introduced himself to me and he showed me some, he showed me some stuff he'd written. Mm -hmm. And then, then, we, uh, uh, then when we got to high school, uh, we both wound up on this high school newspaper and there was a bunch of, we had a bunch of friends who were all involved in that. And I think all wanting to do some kind of creative work. Um, and at that time, you know, I'd been drawing cartoons up until that time, but then I you know, started writing and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I was just starting to play piano. And then as, after I got to know John, he picked up the guitar. He, he, he wasn't, mm -hmm. he wasn't a musician when I met him, but he, um, he decided he wanted to play the guitar and he, he was kind of had this gradual program where he put two strings on the guitar and started learning how to play with just the two <laughs> strings. And he, and he was adding, adding strings. This is his, he should write a book of uh, that should be his guitar method. Cause that oh was my gosh. how he began. Um, and um, although he was, he had been interested in recording before mm -hmm. then. So I think the first things we ever did together was him operating the tape recorder. And I was, playing like the you know the plastic chord organ yeah. 
then yeah, gradually we just got more and more into um, into music. Well, it sounds like you're both kind of critical for each other's identity formation. I think to some extent, yeah, and and our, and the other friends that we had in high school. Yeah. You know, it's a big part of big part of uh, how we, you know, became adults was was by reinforcing and bouncing off each other. Um, and I still have a lot of the same friends from that time. I, I'm still in touch with uh, a bunch of the people I knew at that time. Um, and I still feel that kind of like special sense of these are the yeah. people. I mean, actually before that, I would say it was my siblings, you know, the, my, as, as I was saying, my older brother and sister were, were tapping into stuff that I then, you yes. know, found out about through them. So, so that was, that was pretty important. What was it like kind of like passing that on to then like the next generation? Because I think about that, like I think about like the music that my parents chose to play for me, like, yeah. and I don't know if they were just annoyed by kids music or what was going on, but I mean, like, they just stayed away from that for the most part. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I would say like I did we we did make uh we did make mix probably CDs for our son when he was little, yeah. um, so we were choosing that stuff and we were deliberately. I would sort of like your folks that we were deliberately shielding him from, you know, Barney and friends. Um, like we just were like, there were certain areas that we were blacking out because we yeah. like, I don't want to have to watch this. So, <laughs> you know. uh, uh, but, um, but yeah, you know, I, 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 the funny thing is that my, my son wasn't really into music as a musician mm -hmm. until he was, well into his teens um mm. and then and then he had this explosion of interest and he he's now an accomplished guitarist and keyboard player but he but he did not seem to want to do any of that stuff when at the point where i was trying to encourage him i was yeah. i was trying to get him to play piano and he was i think annoyed that i was pressuring him to do anything like that and, and uh, but then he discovered it on his own right um, and he and also he's discovered music on his own he's, he's mm. really learned about a lot of stuff that i didn't tell him about um and now and also he knows about a lot of stuff that's that younger people are tuned into that i'm completely unaware of at this point yep you know. that's what's really fun is like i think about when as an artist like having younger generations of people coming up to you and being like have you seen this thing and you're like what <laughs> No, absolutely. I think he, he knows there's certain categories of things that I may or may not like, certain things that I won't like, and then certain things I will definitely like. And he mm -hmm. he's kind of selective about, um, you know, like he didn't he didn't push me into watching Squid Game for, for <laughs> but eventually I was like, all right, you're you're watching this, I'll watch it with you. And I was like, yeah, I see why you like this. You know? Like I could I could get into this. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. That's like, I, I realized I do the same for my parents now that I know like their taste because of what they, you know, they showed me that I'm relatively good at then like almost like reverse curating. Like it sounds like you were curating for him and now he knows your taste and can like curate for you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What I guess, like what media have you been taking in that you feel like 
I guess like has kept you inspired because I mean, you create things that inspire you, but are there any things around you that like, well, yeah, I'd say like, like I was saying, often it isn't, um, it's not so much uh, new music, unfortunately. Flan Flansburg is much more um, aware and tuned into uh, uh, trends in music than I am. And, and actually I would say John has, has kind of provided a lot of the, mm. um, you know, like I, the access that I have to anything new, not just now, but even like for a long time. Uh, <laughs> just been aware, he's just been aware of like uh, what's going on much more than I am. Um, uh, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I often I, I've like the squarest, like, I mean, I hate to even <laughs> say this, but like, like I'll read an article in the New York Times about some new artist and like mm -hmm. I am literally the last person to find out <laughs> but you know I mean that's that at least I eventually do learn about there it. and it sounds like you're taking in something that's inspiring you because I think of it not even as media in the traditional sense I guess but it's like you have to take stuff in from your environment to let it kind of like cogitate and then like emotions and things come back out it's like otherwise where, where would you get any sort of inspiration yeah yeah well, also, you, I mean, I suppose this sounds like a sort of an excuse, but I, I suppose you also have a backlog of things that you uh, true that true. you always liked. Um, that is true. You can you can still run on that battery. That's I I was talking to another artist in an interview about like that she has such a vast catalog that when she tours again, she's just like, oh, rehearsals are going to be a nightmare. That it's like this huge bag of like gemstones, essentially, that yeah. you can draw upon. And in some ways that's good, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just like a little magpie that I'm always like, I want to collect more shiny things, put in my bag yeah. <laughs> that inspire me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, I mean, speaking for, our, for my band, we, we don't know how to play all our songs <laughs> by a long shot, you know, but we pick out, we'll pick out, you know, 30, let's say 30 songs from the catalog and, and focus on those. And mm. then we can make different sets based on that. And, and that's enough. Um, and these guys have pretty good memories. So there are some ones that we learned long ago that we can quickly get back up, yes. up to speed. Uh, you know, I love uh, that when muscle memory kicks in and you're just like, Oh good. Yeah. That's still there. <laughs> pretty, pretty efficient group. And we've literally had, we've been playing with these guys for, uh, for 20 years now, more wow. than some of them, more than 20 years. So, so yeah, they probably know stuff that we've forgotten. They could teach us our songs. There you go. I guess like in closing, like what's coming next? Because you did, you finished this album, you have the book. It's like, are you going to tour? Are you, cause like the landscape of everything is so. Um, Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I'm making a smushy gesture for those who cannot. Yeah. No, it's very, <laughs> very unclear. We, we are, well, we're, we're, we're going to be, we're booked to start touring next March. Mm -hmm. um, uh, this the shows that we're doing that we're scheduled to do in March are shows that we were scheduled to do a year ago. And then they yeah. got bumped again to now and then bumped again to next spring. So um, I hope it's all going to happen then. I mean, you know, like yeah. obviously it'll be a different, different situation and we will be very, very uh, vigilant about making sure everybody's safe, you know, yes. um, uh, I'm not sure what form it'll take, but we, we, we want to make sure 
that people don't get sick coming yeah. to our shows. Um, yeah. So that's, that's super important. Um, uh, but um, we're basically going to pick up where we left off. We, we were going to do a whole retrospective of our our Flood album, our third album. Oh my gosh. Um, that's, that's what we were planning to do for this tour that got uh, bumped. Yeah. Um, so we're just, it's like the Tokyo Olympics. We're just going <laughs> to, you know, we're going to pretend that this year didn't happen and just call it 2022 or, you know, 2021. I love that. Well, yeah, because like, I don't know if you've been back to any concerts. I, I've been to a few outdoor ones and I went to one, um, one that was like a Vax only indoor, obviously like all masked. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But like just the experience of being able to share, particularly when you've made something that is so vibrant, it's like, that's, that's like the, it's like once you make an album, once you actually make this book, once you actually do the thing, like the, the sharing is the next part. Cause like you said, it's, you're yeah. communicating with others and that's. Yeah. No, I, I we, we miss it. And, and, yeah. and also we, we miss each other. I mean, that was the oh. funny thing is like about seeing, we've saw, saw these guys recently uh, in the studio and it was like wow it's you you know like we kind of miss just hanging out so uh we'll look forward to that um hopefully you know we've done tours that were so long that we really start to take each other for granted <laughs> we're like okay you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> but but i but i think now we're sort of feeling like yeah uh i've been alone in the house for too long yeah it'll be good to be be good to be back together and i'm sure that all of the audiences are going to be very excited to be there it'll be great i i, I know it's going to be great once it once it gets going Absolutely. yes oh well thank you so much for your time i really appreciate you taking the time to to do the this whatever the this is i feel like we're all in this liminal space on the internet together <laughs> yeah well yeah again my, my pleasure and thank you again for listening to this episode of why not both if you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who is literally a rock star. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next episode.